Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm Ron Swallow. And I am producer Bill. And today, we will be trying to discuss and debate the greatest myths in nerd culture. I personally think that there's a lot of them, although they escape me right now. But that's <laughs> the point of having friends. You flesh this shit out, you get it together, and you wrangle up kind of um, a consortium of what we as a troika believe are things that nerds still believe that may not be true. Yeah, or, or maybe maybe some things that people used to believe that we've fixed as well like i mm. remember when i was a kid actually uh my my fiance ariel went through this where she wanted to play dungeons and dragons and the boys were like no no girls for dungeons and dragons which is wild uh and has changed since then so there used to be a myth that girls couldn't play dungeons and dragons and now they totally can although that wasn't really a myth that was just men sucking I was going to say that was a little bit of myth, but also a little bit of just straight up vicious gatekeeping. Yeah. Like, no, you can't do it. <laughs> Which, well, I mean, on the on that front, though, I got to say, I've played a tiny bit of Dungeons and Dragons, and I still ain't had no girl dungeon master. I mm. haven't had one. I played like mm. seven games of Dungeons and Dragons with diff disparate groups of people. Never had a female dungeon master. And the funny thing is, I mean, we talk about verbal acuity and storytelling. I mean, you can't listen to your wife's story about going to the store. That's going to be horrible. But <laughs> in this realm, with the re the realm of imagination, I would love, love a woman's uh, purview on what we should do when we go down to the dungeon. What we should do when we see the liches or whatever the fuck. What, what they would think of. I've always had dudes doing, you know... Some of the most basic uh, imagineering I've ever fucking seen. I would love to hear and see a beautiful woman doing that shit, frankly. And I haven't seen I would only like to see a weird looking woman do that, <laughs> to be clear. Yes. Yes. Disfigured, preferably, perhaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fucking crone. Just, ah, you go down in. In between stewing her pot, I want her yeah, to turn want, and give us I want a, a real side quest. I want a real witch, an actual, but like a traditional, not like a hot Wiccan chick. I mean, like a traditional warts with a big nose. Yeah, literally warts and all. That's what I want yeah. out of my female yeah. dungeon master. You know, I was going to yeah. maybe throw out a um, a myth because I'm not sure if it's true or not. And this is, I guess, a lot broader than just Dungeons and Dragons. But I feel like my anecdotal experience says that the one thing women generally don't get down with is deep lore. And I feel like that's a, maybe a barrier to becoming a dungeon master because dudes will sit here and obsess over minutia. And whether that's like baseball stats or the deep history of Dungeons and Dragons, I don't know, dudes generally get a real sense of accomplishment out of going deep uh, nonsense. And I feel like women maybe are uh, too smart for that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, like women I show up. shit to do. 100%. <laughs> women show up for the experience and like the emotional truth of the, of the experience. Mm. And it's like, I don't need to memorize this bullshit. But again, maybe that's just my own anecdotal sphere of experience. Well, as we know, you are, uh, you do think readers are lame. And therefore, <laughs> don't do a ton of reading, uh, I would assume. Um, and that means you probably haven't read the many, many fantasy female authors whose lore is very, very deep. But well, okay, they're, they're that's the true. outliers, though. That's like that's like they're like that, the Michael that, Jordan true. of their of you know of their. Sports. You know what? That's a good point. That's a good point. They could. But be, I also they are. feel like wait, wait, wait. Let, let's go deep on this for a second because I feel like. I, look, I have not read a lot of this, a lot of fantasy novels in general, but I would also hazard to say that most fantasy books written by women do not get into the sort of dull minutia of like a J.R.R. Tolkien or even no. outside, even outside the fantasy genre. Like, um, who's that dude who wrote the Bourne books? Robert Ludlum? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a dude who would just spend like a page and a half describing how you load a gun. And I feel mm. like 
number one, for me, I don't like that shit. And that's also one of the things that has made Tolkien a hard read for me. And frankly, like, I don't even like how Frank Herbert, because like I've I've tried reading Dune. I've never made it through the whole book. Like, I don't even like the sort of listicle style of writing. I don't know what else to call that, where it's like you're giving me so much extraneous detail that's not super relevant to like what I'm supposed to be feeling or or really knowing about the characters in this moment. And I just feel like. Granted, my experience is probably limited to uh, Octavia Butler um, and Margaret Atwood, but it's uh, off the top of my head. I don't know. I can't I can't speak to anybody else, but I just feel like there's a, a quality of, of difference there. Hmm, well, maybe the greatest, uh, maybe one of the myths that we're deconstructing is what exactly is the value of immense lore? In the modern age, right? Because mm-hmm. we look at part of the things that are making the Marvel universe come apart is people talking about like I sincere, I distinctly remember sitting behind somebody in Civil War, and Civil War was like the what tenth movie in the cycle or some shit like that, like ninth, tenth movie or something. And this lady was in front of me. And she goes, "There's a lot of these fucking characters." <laughs> that. That was her comment on the greater thing that she was. And, and this was like, I'm talking about an hour and a half into the movie. She just turns to her husband. There's a lot of these fucking guys. And, and it was, that was her. Thing. I love that you saw Civil War in New York. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, dude, she's, that's exactly how she sounded, dude. I was surprised too. But, <laughs> and the thing is, people were like, this, at this point, can I just enjoy this on its own for fucking Christ? Talked and, about how one of the problems with even some of the new Marvel stuff is like okay so now i've got to watch a cartoon a tv show and a movie in order to understand some of the nuances of these characters and i think that that is a problem and and maybe uh and that it might be a myth that lore is important for um for deep storytelling maybe maybe that's an interesting myth to to look at i also think there's a huge distinction between like the depth of lore and what you're asking the audience to do, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the most popular manga, for example, creates very immersive worlds that have a lot of rules and structure. And, you know, whether it's people going to a type of superhero academy or whether it's Ron's favorite with Dragon Ball Z and they've got power levels and training and who's more powerful than who, like that stuff asks you to go deep but it's presented in like a singular work and, and within individual storylines, like Mm. you're given all the information that you need to understand that story. Mm. And I think traditionally like long running TV shows would have the same thing. You know, again, Ron supernatural, I think is a good example. Again, I I didn't I haven't watched a ton of it, but like the idea that that has a very deep lore but in any given episode, they're going to give you what you need to understand what's happening. And they're not going to expect that, like, even if you've been a big fan of that show, that you've also then expanded out to other shows. And I think that that's something that Marvel, uh, the Marvel Studios people were very cognizant of for a long time. And maybe they got a little, um, maybe they let, lost sight of that a little bit. You know, that was the whole point of us talking so much in the in the last few years about these guys. They literally got regular people trained on a comic book schedule and diet. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They were like they got regular people to be like, oh, next summer I got to watch this. Oh, next summer I got to see these two. They're going to release them. Oh, they, they got they got regular people to be like that about this serial thing. They got them to, to experience movies the way Weekend Warriors or rather Wednesday Warriors experienced comic books coming out this i gotta wait on it i gotta show up wednesday and get my new issue of a movie you know nobody really did that before not even star wars they made you wait like five years in between those fucking things you know what i mean so yeah that was a remarkable accomplishment but i think we it was almost like fracking like you get to the shit real quick but it fucks the shit up around it we we got to the, you know what I'm saying? We got to the consumerist heart of America, that continuous, avaricious, I want the next thing, I want the next thing. They got there, and then all this gunk spewed out into the, the uh, you know, the water supply. And now everybody goes, oh, I don't want to see that shit. I hate that. 
that's also the sort of the commercialization of it, right? Because, you know, McDonald's is a good example. If suddenly you didn't know what you were getting when you walked in to have a quarter pounder and, and fries right now, you know, if at some locations it was like the exact platonic ideal of a McDonald's quarter pounder, and then in other locations it's like skin on fries that are soggy and like cut in waffle shapes. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's a great way to describe the Marvels. No, I'm just joking. But like, yeah, oh. for some people, yes, that's what it was. That for the Marvels, yeah. for me, Quantum Ant Mania or whatever the fuck, uh, yeah. the Eternals, that shit was some like, they gave me a bunch of these shitty old fries in a lot of those <laughs> movies. Uh, but I got a lot of shitty old fries, a whole bag of them. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Well, here's a, since we're on this sort of movie talk and comic book movie talk, I want to dispel a myth for some, I guess, producers. Uh, and that's that in DC, every character does not have to be like Batman. <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting one. I think within what you just said, Ron, the assumption that darker equals yeah. better or that like, quote unquote, more realistic equals better. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think all three of us probably disagree with that on a fundamental level, but I'm not sure if that's true if you apply it to like a broader swath of people. I feel like, you know, mm. um, I don't know. I just feel like maybe we're reaching a point of saturation where it's like you've had so many dark movie, dark superhero movies and dark antiheroes and like everybody's sort of trying to copy the, the Batman Begins formula that it is a time when people are like, oh, I don't need that anymore. But I think for the longest time, like there was some truth to that sentiment. You know what? You might be right. But no, yeah, yeah. Mm, no, I'll just I'm say so right. No, I'll just say this. Like <laughs> Green, <laughs> Green Arrow was never supposed to be what they did on that fucking TV show. No. And they, they Batmanified that dude and it ran for 10 seasons. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that also was supposed to be, they can't, can't do a live Batman TV show, so they're like, oh, we'll do Batman with Green Arrow. This sounds great. I mean, yeah, that's, oh, well, maybe this is, this leads into, uh, we're still going to talk about this myth, but there does seem to be this myth that, like, comic book universes are dumb because there's too many heroes in them that, like, if Superman's flying overhead, why do you have to punch people in mm. alleyways? You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if there are certain characters that exist that kind of patrol the world, why do you, why, why and, and why are there are heroes who live in Metropolis? I'm going to repeat that. There are superheroes that live in Metropolis. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Gang, gangbuster for life, dude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Gangbuster. And who's that fucker with the shield? Guardian. Definitely, look, I know this Guardian. is going off of our... This is going off of our myth thing, but let's talk about that real quick. If you were a superhero who lived in Metropolis, like you got powers in Metropolis, you'd be like, you know, I think I'm going to move where I can be more useful. Right? Yeah. Dude, it was worse than that. Like, Gangbuster was literally a Batman-like dude without the money and without any cool gimmick. He literally just wore like a bicycle or a, a motorcycle helmet and carried around like a heavy stick. And he was trying to like break up gangs in Metropolis, dude. And it, it's what it, all, all I'm saying is like, dude. And even and they tried to. And we're talking about it's going to your myth, Ron, because the Batmanification, the so-called realification, even though Batman's super not real, the realification mm. of comic books and a lot of media, even the comic book medium. Okay, so Suicide Slum in Metropolis a exists. Wild, it doesn't. Wild, and then fucking Black Lightning comes from there. And then they had, I think, in their, their initial meetings, Black Lightning used to be like, ah, man, Superman, you don't never fly over the hood, and blah, blah, blah. And also, the original um, Black Lightning had an Afro wig that he would put on because his regular character had a nice, clean-cut haircut. And he would put no on an Afro way. wig that went on with his mask. I forgot that. Holy yeah. shit. Dude. So, like, there's a lot going on. I'm not going to shit on uh, Tony Isabella. He gave it, gave the world a great character. And, and Trevor Von Eden, you know, these yeah, guys yeah. Mm-hmm. contribute to the uh, Cully Hamner. Great stuff contributing to the, the lore of the character, blah, blah. But, like, Jesus fucking. You put him in w- the place where Superman is to be 
immediately a second class citizen, fourth class fucking citizen. You know what I'm saying? You got him down in suicide slum doing three fifths of a crime fighting job. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? Like, I do, I do not understand why you would set my homeboy up like that. Okay. And then, and then these motherfuckers got the temerity to put his ass on the outsiders. And now Batman telling him what to do. Like, he's goddamn Stedman Graham and this motherfucker. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? is going on can you get him away from these crackers so he can fucking do something cool god damn (laughs) reasonable the stedman of dc comics we found it (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean honestly you just made a great rant about why there are too many superheroes in this comic book universe (laughs) oh shit but yeah, so so the point, but the the overarching point is, yeah, it seems like maybe people, the regular populace, is sort of being like, "Why is this? Why is that?" And I think the DC universe um, has an opportunity to answer that, to make a lot of the shit so big that one super guy cannot handle it, to really ratchet up the like, no, Superman doesn't have to go meet with the goddamn president and talk about no shit. He's above that. Like all the Marvel get the, the fucking the dudes who are under the president could literally press a button and talk to all the fucking Avengers at one time. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. The DC heroes are in a god palace in another dimension up in space doing shit. That's the direction they need to go. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I agree with yeah. that completely. And then if they're up there, Metropolis is, you know in danger and so blockbuster can come along and save it <laughs> but blockbuster is better than gangbuster blockbuster at least has a big head and super strength oh that's gangbuster's right not gangbusters yeah i forgot Dude, about I, gang. I got him confused sorry about that blockbusters yeah blockbuster versus gangbuster is the fight i want to see just because <laughs> gangbuster would die and then we wouldn't have to talk about it. <laughs> oh superman oh. we went down to suicide slum and we found Gangbuster with that bat up his fucking ass. <laughs> and then Batman comes and he's like, it appears as though there's internal trauma. And Superman's like, oh, really, detective? You, you think he's got a bat in his ass? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I think another uh, myth that continues to be an interesting one in nerd spaces is the idea that Video games are hard to translate as adaptations. Over the past literally just like two years, we've had some adaptations that seem to have proven that not true. The ones that come to mind are the Super Mario Brothers movie and the Last of Us TV show. But I also think it's worth keeping in mind that over like the past two years, essentially since the pandemic, We've also had some failure, more failures, I should say, in that regard. Um, Halo was a super high-budget TV series that Microsoft made for Paramount+. Plus. Now, granted, it dropped on Paramount+, Plus, but that made no waves in the wider pop culture at all. I have heard nobody talk about that. I watched the first episode, did not grab me at all. Um, we also had a new rebooted Mortal Kombat that came out two years ago, which was dog shit. <laughs> and so this idea that like, oh, no, man, like Hollywood just hasn't get it. Video games are so ripe for uh, ripe for adaptation. I'm not I'm not a gamer, so I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit here and say that's not true. But I also feel like it continues to prove itself even if it's not true. I think that the problem is that you have to have a video game that has a story. And if you don't have a story, then what's the point? Like, and like, look, the Super Mario Bros. one is, it's not like a very great story, but it's a story. It's the, these plumbers get sucked into a world, goes on an adventure to save a princess. And he's got to go through these crazy castles and beat this thing. And The Last of Us, the plot to Last of Us is like actually pretty fucking interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a great plot. So turning that into a, a show is great. Now, Mortal Kombat, like, I mean, I guess if you want to, if you if you made it a just a like a a blood sport type of movie, maybe it would be okay. But you know, you want to do all the cool kills and all the cool this and super powered guys and 
you know, then it changes the whole thing. So it's not like a very great plot, really, when you think about Mortal Kombat. It's like, yeah, but I mean, just to push back on that a little bit, look at the Sonic movies, you know, written by friends of the pod, Pat Casey and, and Josh Miller. That's a game that really just amounts to there's a crazy robotic scientist who wants to kill this hedgehog. And they were able to, I mean, they were able to milk two good movies out of that very simple plot. The, the point of adaptation has always been, it's not a translation, it's an adaptation. So you have to make it work for the new medium. And I just think that like, even something as sort of storyless as like Rampage could end up a good movie if you could get the storytelling right. And in that case, that was yet another, in Rampage's case, that's yet another just Dwayne Johnson vanity project that went nowhere. But I mean, again, it's like, I don't know if the, if the scales are turning toward like video games becoming really hot properties for adaptations, because for every Sonic or Super Mario Brothers movie, you still have two, three, four kind of flops. Well, I think, I think maybe the myth is that all IP is good IP. Mm. Just like all, you know what I'm saying? Like all, all IP, if you get, Oh, it's a, it's a three page comic book that I found at the bus station under a pile of human excrement. I think we can get it for $10,000 option. It's like, suck a dick. Stop Mm. that shit. Every fucking thing in this earth can't be a movie. When you said that Rampage could have been a movie, like literally how? Like they try to do, they try to do the werewolf thing, right? With the, with like a big wolf. And then they try to do the monkey thing with like this big mutated monkey and like shit was getting on him and stuff. But like, I'm sorry, no sane person that isn't in the monarch universe could make that actually a story. But I think they were banking on it, making it more like the Mario Brothers thing, which by all accounts, I haven't seen the movie, but everybody I trust watched it and was like, that's by no means a story, but it is a set of sequences. Yep. Mm-hmm. That you could play out. Whereas even in the in the Rampage movie, where are the fucking sequences? You know That's what I'm saying? So yeah. it's just like you gotta have a set of sequences that'll look great on screen. Like imagine if Free Guy, I mean, f- imagine if Free Guy was a video game. That's I think Free Guy is one of the greatest video game movies of all fucking time. I do too. Because sure. it wasn't slave to a video game story, but it could do everything in a video game and be more or less, besides maybe Sonic One, the perfect uh video game adaptation of its actual material yeah i mean look that that's true of wreck it ralph and and even tron if you want to go back that far Mm, yeah yeah and that's that that brings up another sort of uh twist on your whole all ip is good ip which i think is one of the overriding myths of our time Who's racing out there? Toretto. Toretto. (laughs) He's on a motorcycle this time. That's the loudest one I've heard. All right. Um, But no, I think one of the great myths of our time is all IP is good IP. And where I think that becomes even more interesting, and you knew I had to bring this up sooner than later. (laughs) Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon just came out. And, you know, you know me. I got to talk about new Zack Snyder projects. Um, I have not seen this, and I honestly have zero desire to see this, but what really struck me is in an interview last week, Zack Snyder was quoted as saying something along the lines of like, I don't want to go back and play with other people's toys, like doing superhero movies. Like the real thing is to create your own IP and let that live out, you know, beyond you. And that's so funny to me because by all accounts, his original IP with very heavy air quotes is just the laziest ripoff of Star Wars and Seven Samurai that somebody could possibly conjure. And I think that this whole idea of like all IP is good IP is now starting to infect the creative class um, mm. as, as opposed to just the producer class. Mm. So rather than just producers being like, Hey, I got to option something. Let me go find a cheap option for something that nobody's ever heard of. Now you're having big, powerful creators. And it pains me to say it, but Zack Snyder is being like, all right, let me create a, a, a multi-film franchise that I can own completely from the bottom up. Whereas even if you go back to like the 90s or the 2000s, like Steven Spielberg is a franchise machine, but like he got hired to direct Jurassic Park based on novels written by Michael Crichton. He got hired 
to uh, work on the Indiana Jones series based on original ideas by George Lucas. It wasn't Steven Spielberg running his, rubbing his hands, to get hands together and being like, ooh, let me sit down and create the next great IP. And I feel like anybody who's going to do that is sort of doomed to fail. Yeah, well, and did, I mean, let's be real. We all know that the first Star Wars movie was not meant to be three movies. It mm. just was a phenomenon that did so well that they were like, can we do something like this again? Well, why not a sequel? But it's also and, the exception that proves the rule, though. Because yeah, exactly. literally nobody in the history of cinema other than George Lucas has ever created their own intellectual property starting in a movie from scratch and then gone on to become a billionaire by essentially just cultivating that for decades. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like that's that's just not realistic and it's not and it is a myth. It's just not going to happen. Like you should just focus on making a good movie and there's a maybe if you're lucky that happens, but if you're if not, you just made a good movie. And also yeah. I would like to interject this here. Okay, there's a beautiful there's a beautiful universe out there where the first John Wick comes out and it does really good. And they take their fucking time and they make the sequel to it more or less be John Wick 3. And in the intermeaning years between John Wick 1 and this beautiful John Wick 2 that is basically the story of John Wick 3. Because John Wick 1 ends more like John Wick 2. Follow me here. Yes. Um, yep, with you. Then there's like um, a nobody or something else that's really good, you know, in the intermeaning time. And like they've made like three or four movies. And one of them is a sequel rather than making four straight, you know, uh, John Wick movies, two of which are good. Now that I can see it in the cold light of day, two of them can be just categorized as just fucking good to great movies. And two yeah. of them are like, I watch that shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that, I like that's action not bad movies. at all. That's not bad yeah. at all. But yeah. like great. They could have made like four great movies concentrating on whatever but they have to go next summer i gotta see john john wick john wick's gotta be in the desert with obvious green screen you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> oh that was that riding that riding on the camel or whatever it was oh that was some rough shit dude <laughs> he was riding on that thunder road but 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 yeah, yeah so that's all i'm saying it's like it, it feels like if they just took more time with different stuff but we understand that, that that's not how they think but yes in the end, the myth that you can just create an IP that deserves two or three movies that has enough meat on the moan, bone for two or three movies, and you do that with express intent to make two or three movies. There are people trying that right now, and that sucks. Well, and, and that's really what I'm getting at. And like right now, we have two up in the air Zack Snyder franchises, either, you know, in some sort of Schrodinger's cat state. At Netflix, right? Between the fucking Army of the Dead and Rebel Moon, where it's like, this motherfucker sat down. And look, I almost don't fault Netflix executives for yeah. thinking this way, because that is how movie executives think. But when you've got the fucking director, the writer-director, the creator sitting down and being like, all right, let's plan out five movies in a TV show. Like something is fundamentally broken there because even if you go back to like Peter Jackson with the fucking Lord of the Rings movies, was it hubristic to be like, we're going to shoot three movies back to back and spend hundreds of millions of dollars? Yes, it was. But Peter Jackson also knew his job was to just take everything that had made those books classic for decades and that he loved as a child and just translate that in the most effective way for cinema. It was not, all right, blank canvas. I'm creating for you the fucking next Star Wars. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing that is just like, we can't do that. You can't do that. Like yeah. it, it infuriates me because the hubris of it and the sheer, I mean, I, I guess there's no other word for, for it other than hubris, but it's like, nobody has done that. Stop. Why would you think you can do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, okay. Well, ego. 
Well, but also, but also, also just, just to get to play uh, definitely devil's advocate. These people think that it's hard enough to get one hit. So this artist's conception we have of like, oh, just try to make multiple hits are really genius. Really, you fuck face. These stupid idiots on the bus watching fucking IMAX movies on their phone do not want to be introduced to anything new, you dummies. They want to see something that they know. They want the name of something that they know or the name of somebody somebody that they know to be on this shit. So you're yeah, goddamn yeah. right. I'm in the fucking Scorsese business, the goddamn Tarantino business, whoever the fuck falls off in the, in the intervening years. Netflix is going to snatch them up like a Hoover and start letting them do whatever dumb garbage they want to do. And it's yeah. going to be a good business model to a certain degree. But well, it's, it's I just agree. like you knew that like in on Netflix, somebody grew up in the 90s around my age who loved Adam Sandler and just mm. let him do whatever he wanted on Netflix and just gave him a bunch of money. Make whatever you want. I don't care how good it is. Just do whatever you want. Adam Sandler, you're Adam Sandler. And well, that's yeah. getting into a different myth of like, I was okay, just are, are vanity deals a good thing? Because a lot of times, if you give somebody a good-ass vanity deal, you might get some hot shit. Like, the Irishman is almost good enough to justify them doing all that bullshit. It, uh, it almost is. Not quite, but it almost is. And then, I guess, uh, Apple, or whoever is down with the Killers of the Flower Moon, is, like, basically lost their ass on that movie. But it doesn't matter, because they're in the Scorsese business. Yeah. But is well, there that, a Scorsese business anymore? I, I That's really? what I was going to say. Like... Hollywood forever and always has always been a what have you done for me lately business. Mm -hmm. And all it takes is one, in the case of like a really legendary person, maybe two to three failures for you to suddenly no longer be viable. And like, again, I don't really fault executives for thinking that way because that's the business way to think. But again, if you're a creative, you have to know that you should then be going in and just doing doing the Spielberg thing. And he's always been very open about this. I am going to make the best possible movie out of this one thing, and I'm going to leave it all on the table. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing next, but this is my life right now. And like that may succeed or fail. But like you were talking about John Wick earlier, that's what they did with John Wick. Like it's a it's a group of aging guys who have been stuntmen forever and want to control their own destiny. And I forget if they co-developed the script or if they found the script. But like John Wick became John Wick because there was a tight knit group of guys who sat down together and were like, we got to leave it all on the table. We got to do the one thing we've always wanted to fucking do. Mm hmm. That like that is the closest thing you can come to sort of a formula for a hit. And yeah. I think that that applies to Barbie. Right. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like whether it's an established IP or not. Get the filmmakers to just go. How do we make this one? How do we leave it mm -hmm. on the fucking table? And there is nothing more infuriating to me from the standpoint of a creative person working within the Hollywood system. Then fucking Zack Snyder being like, well, this one was just set up. Wait until we get to part two. Yeah, part two yeah. is going to really blow your face off. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that's not how it works. Blow my mm -hmm. face off right now, please. Exactly. <laughs> I would like to, I would like my face blown apart immediately. <laughs> that's part of my Netflix subscription. I do got to say, though, you mentioned something I think is interesting is like how much pressure you are put under as a creator, though. Because that's pretty intense. Like, you know, uh, as the, the great Marilyn Manson has said, <laughs> they love you when you're on all the covers. When you're not, they love another. Which actually is true, though. Like, it, oh, it's yeah. one of those, it is one of those things where, like, it's really easy for us to be like, hey, just make one good thing. And it's like, yes, you do need to make one good thing. And then they're going to ask you to make another good thing. And you have to do it faster now. And on top of that, if you mess that up, you may never, ever work again. And that's, that is pretty freaky. Well, dude, on some real yeah. shit, as sobering as that thought is, I had the thought that Marilyn Manson was the Taylor Swift 
of this country for a few years there. <laughs> and that You are not wrong. That really makes my skin crawl. Like it, yes. as popular as like, oh, do we want our little girls looking well with Taylor Swift is like, yes, we want our little girls looking up to this girl most of the time. But yeah, this kind of like pop phenomenon that even like kids in the hood knew Marilyn Manson songs. I think I might have somebody I know that was a black hood guy bought the dope show. Which is yeah. like probably Marilyn Man- a really shitty Marilyn Manson album, but it was that crest of like so yes. ubiquitous that you yes. fuck around. Like I remember when I was a little kid and rock and roll was so big. Uh, I knew a kid that bought uh Poison, the Poison album that had Unskinny Bop on it, and it was awful. And I was like, is "This bad. is rock and roll. Get this shit the fuck <laughs> Unskinny Bop Bop Bop." Okay. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I'm saying? So it's like uh, all that to say that just I had to get that out. Fucking Taylor Swift. Oh my God! The Marilyn Manson was on t- on TV ubiquitous. Everybody knew them, and he turned him. out to be a very horrifying person. Hey, I'm just waiting on who to guess, baby. I'm waiting on <laughs> Ke- Ke- I'm waiting on Travis Kelsey to be running out of the out of her million dollar house with his helmet in his hand and and nothing on, being like, "You fucking monster!" <laughs> I, I want to see that. Uh, I still don't think that would really take her down a peg, but, um, <laughs> they'd, be like, they'd be like, what was he doing? What did he do to that poor woman? Yeah, what was there is bloody and bruised. Yeah. You guys got to be careful because there is one myth that is true. And that is if you fuck for t- with Taylor Swift, they will come after you. <laughs> oh yeah. So oh, yeah. you better say some nice shit about Taylor Swift right now. <laughs> ah! You know, um, you know how you, you know how you do a full 180 there. I support the Gaylers. I think she is secretly a lesbian. Ooh, they, there you go. They will come to my defense and defeat all comers. That's what oh, I say. Right. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, that that would be a, a horrific, like, 50s-esque situation for her to be like, I'm so wholesome, and the country isn't progressive enough for me to come out as gay, so I have to get a football, I have to get the football player boyfriend. I can't have a black one because the country's not ready for that. All right, give me Travis Kelsey. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And they just sort of draft him, ironically enough, into this beard cause. He comes in with his beautifully quaffed beard. Oh, I'm a beard. That's a beard. See, I'm smarter than the average guy. He had no idea like what the actual situation is. He's just like, like, Yeah, I can show up and be a beard. Hell yeah. yeah Look at this yeah. beard. Yeah, I got one. Yeah. It's pretty great. So like I get to have sex with it, right? No. I'll still Wait, do what? it. <laughs> yeah. I'll still, I'll still, I'll still do, do it. it. Oh, Wait, fuck. so I got to go back to something Ron said. Um, you know, the pressure of of being like a successful creative. First of all, that is a champagne problem. But yes, second of, of all, second of all, a little bit of that is sort of self um enforced because oh. there is always there is always the option to just be like a pre me too Brett Ratner where it's like you're not doing anything that anybody is going to like defend, but you bring everything in on time and under budget. And like your actors True. seem to think fairly high of you. And like, that's Ooh. it. I mean, okay, it's like, okay. Is the myth yeah. is the myth that our, the Artur theory is actually applies to all like directors. Cause right. Yeah. There's so many directors who are just, they're workmen. They show up on time. They know how to organize people. They're leaders of men and women and they're just a great, you know, captain, but they're not reinventing the wheel. They don't have a bunch of great ideas. Zack Snyder. They, they don't, they don't <laughs> do a lot. They don't do a lot of this creative, right? They're everybody like for my recollection, Spielberg is a guy who read the book, made a bunch of notes in the book, does this, does that, goes with the storyboard guys, da 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 da. You know, people, he's very involved in it because, like you said, he puts us all into this one project. But there are a lot of guys who are just like, oh, I'm going to direct uh, this this summer and then I'm going to direct this and I got this. And, and they just kind of show up and do their job and make these Sergio Bullock movies, you know what I'm saying, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I'm not sure. dissing. Guy Ritchie. Yeah, he's become one of those. But besides, I mean, mm. he, I think I think he wants to be an auteur, but I think he is like, I'll just take it. I, I, everything that had to be snatched, it doesn't have to be, you know, I'll, I'll just do it type guy. So, yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have a little bit of firsthand experience here that I could speak to. Um, so, you know, the three workaholics guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have a fourth partner in their little crew who was the writer director that worked with them. And he cameoed on workaholics. He was the, he was the cross-eyed guy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. 
But so his name is Kyle Nuacek. And Kyle Nuacek was teaching at my film school when I was in film school. And he's since gone on. He now, I think he's directed um, those Adam Sandler murder mystery movies with Jennifer Aniston, if I'm not mistaken. And he is like a regular director on a ton of different shows, almost all comedies. But I want to say he's directed like for the show Dave on FX. He's he's directed a ton of stuff. He's extremely successful. All that to say, he has a very workmanlike attitude. Like he Mm -hmm. has good taste. And like Mm -hmm. he is very good at making decisions. He knows what he wants. But like he's not a guy who's out there going like, I am making art. I need a legacy. You know what I mean? Like just even, even knowing the guy in his, in his twenties when he was teaching at a film school, like that was never his bag. It was very, and I remember like I learned how to use avid from that guy. And like I, we watched some movies and he broke down some directing techniques and he was great. And we actually, my class worked with him on a couple short films. The greatest story I ever have. My buddy was directing his thesis film and it was a comedy and it was about this kid who thinks his heart's going to explode if he falls in love. And so he asked Kyle Nuacek to play like the deadbeat dad that runs off after when the kid is born. And so his mom mm. becomes overprotective and blah, blah, blah. But so Kyle shows up. He's super down. He's like, fuck yeah, like I'll do that. And so he shows up in his own wardrobe of like the most white trash shit you'll ever see, which is amazing. And he takes off his glasses because he wore these thick Coke bottle glasses and he takes off his glasses. And it was sort of like the reveal that he's cross-eyed because he had always worn the glasses in in class. And so the cross-eyed didn't happen. So he takes (laughs) off his glasses and he goes, I just want you guys to know this is real. And if you want to use it, let's fucking use it. (laughs) And my buddy was like, fuck, yeah, we're going to use it. And so we shot it and we was cross-eyed and it was hilarious. But like that's sort of just his attitude of like, let's get it done and let's make it good and let's move on to the next one. And honestly, that's the majority of working directors in Hollywood. Yeah, so do you think that people's non-willingness to be that type of guy is because they don't think they'll be like like Homeboy where he can like he has a network. In order to be a working director like that, you have to have an immense network that is constantly working to find stuff for you to be doing, be involved in different developments of different people's shit, know when stuff is coming down the pike, get in line with the other two directors, one of which is a Swede that wants to do it for a billion dollars, one of which is some weirdo, and the other one is the diversity hire, and then you beat them out or whatever the fuck. That whole system, that's its own political game. And I just think some guys are just like, instead of playing that game, which is hard and very much like comedy or acting or any of these other things that have a lot of less power than a director, instead of being like that, they feel as though they need to just huddle up and get smart and make their own stuff so they can control their destiny. Meanwhile, we're on a rock in space spinning around on a fucking, you know, (laughs) we're we're standing on Indian bones, spinning on a fucking rock, spinning, you know what I mean? It's like, who's in control of their lives, really? You know what I'm saying? But, like, they feel as though they need to control their career, so they, but again, I'm running into it in comedy. I have to learn how to edit clips super fresh for the algorithm, learn fucking AI tools, do this, do that, be a great genius marketer, be a fucking cinematographer when I take my fucking sets, uh, be a super politicker to get the fucking bookings so that I can do the fucking sets to get the fucking tape, get those shits to my manager. Da, 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 da. I need to be 15 different jobs. Back yeah, in the days, I would have shown up and did eight minutes of material that had been famous as fuck. Maybe the myth is that talent counts for anything. <laughs> oh shit! I, ho- I mean, uh, without going full throated in support of that, I will say, <laughs> I I do think sort of the auteur in general is a myth. I think mm-hmm. even a guy mm-hmm. like Tarantino, Tarantino only becomes Tarantino because he has his team around him that allows him to be Tarantino including in the early days, the Weinstein brothers. Like if he didn't have essentially producing patrons that came to him and said, we're going to raise the money, you do whatever it is you do. Like you don't get Tarantino. And so I I think there is probably a divide where more extroverted laid back people are going to gravitate to being like the working directors. Like 
I like the payday and I'm good with people and I can show up and bring everything in on time and under budget. And like, that's what I'll do versus, you know, the more tortured artist soul is going to want to be the quote unquote auteur. But <clears throat> no auteur becomes an auteur just because they're so great. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm -hmm. There's and always a support system. And nobody who can't write becomes one of those i will repeat that oh, no well, one yeah. who cannot write becomes one of those the fucking Zack snyder cannot write dude and he thinks that he could just go off on his he's own been flirting it. with it he's Dang. been flirting with it for 15 years despite the fact that he's a horrible writer and that's what i think pisses me off more than anything you've nailed it ed it's that there's this chorus of people on the internet who want to declare that he's an auteur and the rest of us are going motherfucker he can't write Okay, I think I figured it out. It's the idea that anyone is successful by themselves. Lone wolf successful. That's yeah. the myth. That is in right. this That's whole realm huge. of things. Yep. It's that we all if you want to be successful, you get a team of smart, interesting people who are good at a variety of things that work together to make cool stuff. Mhm. Mm that's what yeah, it comes I, down to in the, the creative world, perhaps. Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen before he won those six championships. So, you know. Yeah, Jerry Reinsdorf and the other fucker, <laughs> uh, Jerry Krause, as uh, a fucking hey, ownership. You have to own. Yeah. You, you know, you, you have to have the top people on your side. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then, then that leads me to the most important myth. This doesn't have anything to do with pop culture, per se. Uh, but it's the most important myth, and that's that money doesn't solve all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I mean, I think that myth is especially useful, though, because as I may have said on here before, if people really understood how I, I understand rich people still have problems, but they're a lot of times self-created. Or right. they're like, you know, stroke of luck, hand of God stuff. Like, oh, you got ascending bowel cancer. You got $500 million. Guess what? I'm richer than you, fuckface. Ha ha ha. That, that's just what it is. However, if you are perfectly healthy and have $500 million, whatever problems you have are your own, bro. Or, or, yeah. or, 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 or you not spending some of your money to deal with them in therapy or something of this nature, which right. you could afford now that you have $500 million. So that's yes. why people don't get any sympathy. But if people could really metabolize that, There'd be like I'd have a rich person's ass ham hock hanging out of my mouth right now. We would literally eat the rich, We'd literally do it. And I yeah. think part part of the putting off of that is this American dream where you buy yourself. Oh, oh, this is beautiful. You by yourself can just bootstrap yourself out of poverty with your own talents. And if you are talented, that talent alone will be enough to have you ascend at that manner and you will get money. But you just don't quite have enough time to apply yourself. Maybe things will break great for you in 2024. Maybe you'll do something in 2025. And that right. keeps a lot of these rich fuckers alive. That keeps, you know, that keeps Travis, uh, for, uh, homegirl Swift and her jets and shit. There'd, it'd be <laughs> like, it'd be like goddamn fucking, what's that movie? World War Z. Poor people would be pulling down tra Taylor Swift jets from the sky, just stacking up on each other like ants to pull her fucking jet out of the sky. If we could really yeah. metabolize how fucking unfair a lot of shit is, you know what I'm saying? So we don't. We buy into a lot of myths from the fact that you don't have to – the fact that most of the comedians and actors that you really like that are just so talented are like not industry plants or rich people's kids. I hate to tell you, man, some of those songs your kids are bopping to were like oh, yeah. almost created in a lab by like Swedish guys to appeal to street people so that they could be sold to white suburbanites. That is the pipeline right there. You nailed yeah. it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Now, that is I mean, not I to disparage you all or discourage anybody out there wanting to do creative stuff. That doesn't mean you quit. Doesn't mean you, you stop doing the stuff you love to do just because it is hard and because. It would be helpful if some rich person gave you a bunch of money to do it. Mm -hmm. You still do it, but then you have to have that attitude. You have to change your attitude of I can do this by myself. And that's when it's yep. important to create community yep. because community well, can overcome money. I really do think that can happen or it can create money to overcome the money problem. Mm -hmm. It certainly complements money. And yeah, it yes. certainly can, can um, pick up the slack from lack of money. I, I honestly like, 
I think those last two myths that you guys articulated each are kind of the key to any creative pursuit is like, number one, auteur theory is just false. Like you, you will never be a lone genius. And number two, money is what solves your external problems. Like if you can find a way to work within those two truths, then you're going to have a shot at something. I don't know that you're going to have a shot at becoming Zack Snyder, but you're going to have a shot at something. Yeah. Um, knowing Maybe like you can become Brett Ratner, but not do all the yeah. gross stuff. <laughs> right. Now, the but gross like, stuff is necessary, Ron. That, that's another thing. You guys think <laughs> that it's a myth, okay? You think it's a myth that you can't be... T- tell me who's a bigger producer than that guy who will not be named who did all that bad stuff for Tarantino. Come on, man. That guy, his skills came from the misdeeds. <laughs> like, who's funnier than Louis C.K.? Come on, guys! No, I'm, okay, I'm just joking. But yeah, I think that is one of the bigger myths that, like, abusing people and being a shithead and is look, some kind of path. Obviously, there is one person who's funnier than Louis C.K., and that is Matt Reif. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, fuck! Oh, God. I, I will not get... I, look, I'm not one of these people who, like, is, is mean about Reif, but, like, again... Uh, Cause I know, I know Eric Griffin who directed his special. Mm. And what's interesting is it, it's like, uh, like who, who wouldn't jump on the train of some, when we look at 20 years, 20 years from now, I'm not dissing when I'm saying we might not even remember Rife or whoever the next guy. There's a guy, Ralph Barbosa, who's super big right now. George Lopez dissed him and made him even bigger. And then he got a Netflix special. You know what I'm saying? But like, who remembers the top comics? from 1994 right now oh, fucking shit. nobody some right. of the most of those guys who were top comics are gone we remember just like movies we remember the <laughs> classics right yeah. or, and we remember the people who got into movies yeah you know what i'm saying a lot of the guys who are like club comics from 1994 we don't know who the fuck they are anymore yeah. you know what i'm saying so it's like i don't know that that's just well but yes i just wanted to be really serious you don't have to abuse people to 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 be talented I mean, it helps, obviously, but you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of not abuse, uh, there is one getting away from all of our creative people talk. I do. I do want to bring up one very I think this might be the most important myth uh, that people have not have believed in for a very long time, which is just I think not only never been true, but it's definitely not true today. And that's that nerds don't get laid. Okay, I just want you to understand we been fucking since day one. We are we fuck each other for one. I don't know if you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not on this podcast. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But just not that there's just to clarify. Yeah, I mean, look, if you guys out there who really love us want to write some weird fan fiction and make my own slash pick all day. Yeah, that's great. That's great. We approve of that. You know what? I'll tell you what. Straight up, you write a fan, you write a slash fic, I'll read that shit live. Uh, we'll perform all of our parts, really. Oh, oh, hey, you, and you know what? You know how you get it noticed? You leave it in the form of a five-star review. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or join our Patreon. Patreon.com slash the greatest pod. Look at us doing the... <laughs> Dude, that's a that's a smooth plug. You lube that plug and just shoved yeah. it right through. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like I'm gonna. Lo- oh no. Okay. Oh. That, that, you're, you're skipping pages. I, that's page five. We gotta go back to page three <laughs> where we're lovingly touching each other's earlobes or whatever the author wants. Yeah, you definitely gotta have a good conversation about romance and how close we are because <laughs> of our creative pursuits. You know, uh, it's like it's like Ed is ranting, but then Ron comes and touches his lips and quiets him, and then oh god, no, I don't want to read the list. <laughs> I don't uh, want to move. I don't want to move too quickly past your myth, Ron, because that's no, an important one. It actually I, is. I'll say for myself, um, the only dovetail with this myth that I think needs to be spoken aloud is like I've never gotten laid because I have an encyclopedic knowledge of Spawn. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I just like that's not enough. You know, that's the thing that I think, that's the thing that I think some nerds maybe get resentful about is, is thinking like, oh, well, 
I haven't gotten laid like fuck you guys. And I don't think anybody who listens to this show is in that camp. So maybe we're talking to the hot air, but like there is there is a difference between being a nerd and being attractive to whoever it is you're trying to hook up with versus being a nerd and expecting that to make you attractive to anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. you're trying to hook up with. Yeah. Look, like social skills are necessary and you should try to learn them. If you don't know them, honestly, if you're a smart person, this is sit back, don't say anything and pay attention. You will mm. figure it out if you're smart. Seriously. Like if you're nervous about how you interact with people, take a look at how other people interact. See the people who seem to be liked and be cool that also have the same morals that you do. And start emulating a little bit of that till that becomes more natural. The little fake it till you make it type of thing. Um, Ron, but then this sounds I will, suspiciously like Andrew Tate advice. I just want no. to cut you off for a <laughs> no. second. No. You're smart. No. And if you don't feel it, you fake it till you make it. <laughs> I mean, to a point, that's true. But also, the other thing is, uh, by the way, uh, fantasy books have gotten me laid multiple times. I just want to point that out. Oh, Fantasy books, my love of fantasy books have gotten me laid multiple times because I talk about the books and then all of a sudden we're having a conversation. And that hey, gets me you, in. You, you and I don't nurse? look like shit. And I took a shower and I put some deodorant on. You know, I'm I, and I'm not like a super great looking dude, but I don't look terrible either. And I take a little bit of care of myself. I yeah, make it somewhat attempt. You heard it from yeah. the top G. Comic books and uh, fantasy novels are the way to get cooch. <laughs> you heard it from the top G. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's the stuff right there. That's what I live for. <laughs> well, and, and one thing I will, um, as we round out here, uh, it is funny, the myths that people buy into in regards to um, pop culture. And I think one of the really worst ones was that um, – like you are the consumerism that you like embody. Like whatever oh, yeah. you like mm. to buy, that's who mm. you are. Bitches who go to Bed Bath and Beyond, R.I.P. Beautiful mm. business model, letting people wander mm. around all day to buy fifty dollar candles. Wonder, no wonder why you're fucking gone. <laughs> anyway, people, <laughs> people who nobody made really. Now people made Pottery Barn and Pier One their personality lots of girls did but most people don't make things like that their personality so but we're nerds so we think that us buying serial periodicals and liking movies with laser swords is like a fucking personality that's like nuts like who yeah. thinks that even dudes who do road motocross are just like they like to boot scoot boogie. They like to drink beer. You can't drink beer on your bike when you're in a competition meet because my daddy told me if I wrecked another bike, da, 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 da. you know what I mean? There's like, there's things you have to segment your personality. But for some reason, nerds decided they didn't have to. For some reason, nerds decided they didn't need to code switch a little bit. When you're talking to a hot broad, it may be not time to bring up Galadriel. It might not be. It might be, but it might not be. And, and that's you gotta okay. pay attention. You look that's at the okay. tattoos. And you figure it out. You know, I recognize that <laughs> Elven script. Let's talk about it. But otherwise, right. maybe you know skip it if you don't like, need to. Or, or like have stuff to talk about that aren't just your interests. I think a lot of nerds, uh, and I'm and we're talking about non-neurodivergent and shit yes. like that. I don't want to hear sure. no goddamn comments about like, well, what if you have this fucking whatever? No, we're talking about people who have no excuse. And in the, in that realm... A lot of them are, I don't want to use the word narcissist or toxic because I'm not a girl and I'm 15 on TikTok. But, but I, I will say that there are people who are very self-involved yes. and don't realize it. And so when they go up to some broad and start talking to shit, they can't, you can't talk for five seconds about what this bitch likes. You can't try to use context clues to see what this lady likes. Or and ask. then you wonder why you're getting dressed or even, but the thing is, that's another thing. A lot of times they'll go, well, I'll just ask questions. So you end up peppering this bitch with a billion questions like you're Woodward yeah, and no. Bernstein. Not that. You, don't do that. <laughs> There's all these old the list of questions that they have. <laughs> Where were you born? <laughs> what are you? What kind of ice cream do you like? 
it's even more awkward it's even more awkward if you try to go deep with it it's like tell me about your relationship with your parents do you like your siblings you know Uh, uh, just met at karaoke i'm gonna have to say no oh here's a free one that i saw it's probably some internet video but i actually agreed with it so i'll repeat it because that's how we share information now that no one reads thanks bill um fucking (laughs) the the thing the thing that people say uh, i heard it in this video it was like uh, ask some ask somebody about the best compliment they ever received, because that question will when they answer that question, they will be telling you what they value in themselves and what they want people to value in them and or what people value in them that they didn't see in themselves or something. So you can like reinforce that. So if they say, oh, I really like the fact that they say I'm really a hard worker, blah, blah. You got this beautiful hot chick with a big booty and a rack and everything. And you just start talking about tool time or whatever the fuck, like hard work stuff, because she is wants to be praised for hard work and you have an in right there. It's very easy. And then and you immediately know how to neg her. You just make her feel like she's not working hard enough. It'll create yeah. a dependence. And next thing you know, like she can't live without your praise, which is and really maybe, what you're trying. Maybe to maybe you're very weak and you have empathy. So you think that that's the wrong thing to do. But what you got to do is you got to fake it until you make it. One hundred pretending you don't have empathy. This podcast today should really just be called Cracking the Greatest Codes because we are giving you gold, people. <laughs> She should do some like neg chicks about their like work habits. Like, uh, uh, you're not working hard enough. It's like ah, my my jaw hurts. Anyway, she so says that, and then you go. She says, <laughs> "Oh, well, I've got a compliment about how hard I work," and you're like, "Someone complimented you on that? <laughs> hmm. Interesting. I have yet, I have yet to see it, but no, dude, cool, <laughs> it might happen. It might happen. Dude, and what's what's really funny is like technology in and again. I don't know. If you were a human being alive in about 2007 and you were male and you weren't getting none, that was you oh, that heard wasn't. a lot about those, the game and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the fucking oh, yeah. pickup artist shit. You knew about it, even if you didn't employ it, blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling y'all, negging chicks doesn't work anymore unless they're nope. stupid as fuck. And right. it used to work on like literally all of them. I'm sorry. It used to. And then they no, started it- like understanding what it was. And and the ones who had any integrity were just like, I'm a hot bitch. I don't need to listen to you fucking talk bad about me or diss me right. on any level. But pe- what people didn't understand was like the teasing that happens when a man is dope enough to tease a hot girl will literally always work. But this concept that just make up some stupid ass thing to diss them for, that's not yeah. it. It's not the same thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like no. high fructose corn syrup versus fucking turbinado sugar. You know what I'm saying? They're not yeah, the same and, fucking thing. And you should also have morals. Let's be clear. Yeah. Well, okay. We're talking about fucking. I don't know what morals come from. We're talking about Hollywood. <laughs> fucking morals. Yeah, also, I will, let's have look, to morals. be clear. To be clear, I want to fuck forever. <laughs> and so, so when you have morals, it allows you to get someone who also wants to fuck you forever. The only person who's fucking forever is a goddamn vampire or something. I don't know what you're talking. About. I don't oh, know not- what you're talking about. <laughs> Lead Ron leads- dry like a goddamn vampire, <laughs> which true. leads to my favorite <laughs> myth that Ed also approves of, and that's that anyone should ever fuck a vampire. That's disgusting. What is wrong with you people? Hey, man. A chick with 400 years of fuck techniques? Sign me up. I'll fuck you on the ceiling like oh, a Lionel Richie video. That's you know a good point. That's, I didn't and, think about that, Ed. That's a great point. And one would assume some sort of immunity to venereal disease. So, like, I mean, I mean yeah. You know. Dude. Yeah, and? It, well, that works is a very well, important to me. So. <laughs> Dude, could you just imagine, like, fucking you fuck vampire chicks and, like, that's your. That's the side effect. Like he's like, "Hey man, I can't get nothing because like I got vampire cells just eat up all the gonorrhea in my in my Johnson. You know, they just attack it." I mean, maybe vampire are vampires uh, sterile? Can vampires get pregnant? Because if not, that's a twofer, baby. Dude, you oh, know, yeah. I gotta. I'm just gonna cut you guys off here because you're literally writing a book for someone right now, <laughs> and I can't have you guys doing that. Okay, no, for but, someone, we're writing a book for <laughs> creeps on Amazon, and we stand to make about forty thousand dollars a month on it. Dude, I just, I just saw a scene for that movie. Like, okay, like vampires. Vampires haven't been able to get pregnant for four hundred generations. 
bum bum but she is and, oh, blah, blah, no. and now this vampire is pregnant and then like and then like they're they're all talking about what's going to happen blah, blah blah oh is it going to be human as a vampire and they deliver the baby the daylight and it just burns up baby joke no, I'm I guess just it's a vampire. They're just reading all this prenatal no. stuff and rubbing the belly and putting Stradivarius on the fucking stereo and aiming it at mm. the chick's belly so it'll be smart and all this shit. <laughs> they're just like, why don't you just deliver it at nighttime, man? You can't deliver it at the fucking park. It's daylight. Yeah, you it's can't, fucking high You can't decide when you go into labor. What kind of futuristic utopia do you think <laughs> we're living in? Come hey, on. you can induce. The, uh, pretend this vampire is a high-powered lady attorney. Mm. And she would definitely go to some doctor and get induced on this day at this time so I could be healed up by the time for the Corman case or whatever. Look, you fight. guys aren't thinking clearly. You just Look, put you it in the had me a high powered vampire attorney. I was already <laughs> going to that point. <laughs> dude, that'd be so fun. That, 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 oh, dude, that's too, that's a two on the nose metaphor. A vampire attorney? What the fuck? That's, that's a hat on a hat. <laughs> that's goddammit. a hat on a hat. <laughs> 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 oh shit well i really do hope that you guys enjoyed this episode about the greatest myths that we could think of because honestly i think this is one of those classic episodes where you get to find out like who we are as people when we look at like what we believe and what we feel like you guys should believe you know i think this one was a uh an all-timer actually that's really fun mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. a really fun episode so i hope you guys had a good time we said it earlier, but like, you know, it, it, we could say it again. Why don't, why don't you leave us a review? You know, the reviews help. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube. Click all the buttons that Ed hates me to say, <laughs> you know, do all the stuff. But also, um, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the greatest pod, where you will get premium episodes. If you want to get another premium thing, you can get my album called On the Wing of a Jag, On the Wing of a Jaggin. <laughs> on the wing of a jagoff. On the wing of a jagoff. <laughs> on the wing of a dragon. I can say words. I promise. Uh, and uh, it's really good. It's. I'm very proud of it. I worked very hard on it. In addition to that, we are on X. Don't call it Twitter. It's not Twitter. Don't ever call it Twitter. It's like they call it Darth Vader Anakin. It's like it ain't really the same thing anymore. But also uh, on Instagram, on Instagram at the greatest pod, you'll find us if you search that. On Twitter, we are still Nerd Goat Podcast, I believe, right? Yep. Follow us on there. We would love to get some followers. We send all kinds of fresh, hot nerd memes and takes. So thank you guys for listening to another highly moral, anti delusional. I forgot mine. <laughs> Episode of. The greatest. Bye.